Oh, my God. 
Five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday. Happy Hanukkah. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. We find out. Ten years ago, we played our first set. Singing for just family and our friends And our hearts beat with the rush that comes from a cheering crowd We were younger then Who could know that then We'd rise at dawn for early shows
Sakan Kanim Nasenem 
For their cause was a righteous one That their people should be respected Till the last battle was won Light the candle of freedom Light the candle of hope Illuminating generations Let every girl and boy know That once there was a peace the right to be free and that is just what Hanukkah means to me when the battle was over and the war was won the people gathered to give thanks for all that God had done but the temple was in ruins only one tiny candle remained but miraculously that flame for eight nights and days. Light the candle of freedom, light the candle of hope, illuminating generations, let every girl and boy know that once there was a people who fought for the right to be that is just what Hanukkah means to me. There are miracles in our lifetime can be hard for us to perceive. They beat off the handle. Look at those candles and you just. 
J.M. and the A.M. wishing everybody a happy Hanukkah and getting ready for one of the best Shabbatot of the year. If, in fact, we're allowed to rank Shabbatot. <laughs> it is Erev Shabbos Hanukkah Rosh Chodesh. Three amazing and incredible days in our calendar converging together, which is so amazing and so remarkable. Again, it's Erev Shabbos Hanukkah because tonight will begin the sixth night of Hanukkah. Shabbos, because tonight will begin Shabbos Parshas Miketz, and Rosh Chodesh, because tonight will begin Rosh Chodesh Teves, all together on this incredible and uh, amazing uh, Shabbos. It's really remarkable. Hope it, I hope you have an opportunity to spend it with family and friends and enjoy this uh, incredible holiday that's been so uh, remarkable so far and I hope it's been a happy and wonderful one for uh, for all of you out there. Friday morning on this December the 7th, the 29th of Kislev, it is in fact Erev Shabbos Parshas Miketz and Erev Shabbos Chanukah and Erev Shabbos Rosh Chodesh Teves. <coughs> Candle lighting at 4.08. We're calling it for 4.08 here in the New York area. Uh, the Hanukkah song from Jonathan Rimberg, Shwebel Shar from Levine, had Moe's tour. Shane is done by Shimmy Engel, Yaakov Shweki with both H. And Shivisi Candles on the Sill, the YU Maccabees, and of course, Regesh, Modani opening things up, and we say good morning. 37 degrees outside with 50% humidity, winds are west at 7 miles an hour. Sunny today with a high temperature of 40. Then tonight, clear skies, a low 25. Tomorrow, partly cloudy, a high Shabbos, 37 degrees. You shall lie right now at 50. We're at 37 in New York City on a Friday, Erev Shabbos, on this Hanukkah 5779. And I thank you so much for tuning in and being part of this amazing experience together. Uh, don't forget, you can comment on our app. Go to the NSN, Nahum Single Network app for Android and iPhone and comment away. Don't forget, you can support the uh, incredible and amazing work that we do um, each and every day. Really, each and every day. Because we're here Saturday night. We're here, we're here Fridays. We're here Sundays. Um, go to fjbunity.org, FJB, Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting, fjbunity.org, and you can participate in our mission, our amazing mission of keeping this incredible type of programming 
and uh, wonderful presentations going every single day of the year. And we're very proud of it. Coming up later on, by the way, it'll be uh, Naomi Nachman with a brand new edition of Table for Two on um, at 10 o'clock, our Arab Shabbos show brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Harry Rothenberg with the uh, Parsha video blog coming up at 1 p.m. Our um, Erev Shabbos music mix sponsored by the wonderful people at Kedem all the way until candlelighting time. Tomorrow night it's Avrami with Saturday Night Seagull. Sunday morning with it's Matis with uh, JM Sunday live between 7 and 9 a.m. Eastern time. There's a lot going on, just a lot going on. So continue to support our efforts at fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org. More coming up. It's Erev Shabbos Hanukkah Rosh Chodesh at JM in the AM.
J.M. in the A.M., that's uh, Ohad, of course, brand new, Levado at J.M. in the A.M. Uh, let's see here. Before the uh, Ohad selection, you heard Yivarecha from Miami. Chanukah done by the uh, cast of A Good Yor. Miami with uh, Chanukah off of Light Up the Nights. Jonathan Rimberg's Chanukah song from your favorite songs. And Shwebel Sharf and Levine had Mo's tour in there. Friday morning, it's Erev Shabbos Parsha's Mikates. It's Erev Shabbos Hanukkah. It's Erev Shabbos Rosh Chodesh Teves. Candle lighting at 4.08. On this Erev Shabbos, full schedule, of course, here all through the day, as you would suspect. Rabbi Yudin is coming up at 8.15. Malcolm Homeline, weekly update. He is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of a major American Jewish organizations. Um, so he'll be on, uh, he'll be on at 740 Eastern time this morning, discussing the, uh, events of the week, etc. in our weekly update and, um, ambassador, uh, Israeli ambassador to the United Nations, Danny Danone scheduled to join us about 15 minutes from now, find out the latest from the UN, a couple of significant things from the UN this week for those of you who've been following the news. And we'll have an opportunity to talk about those coming up here at the JM in the AM. Friday morning broadcast with 37 degrees, sunshine, and a high temperature of 40. Clear tonight, low 25, and tomorrow, partly cloudy, a high temperature of 37. Yerushalayim right now is at 50. We are at uh, we're at 37 here in New York as we um, broadcast on a Friday morning era of Shabbos. I remind you that uh, fjbunity.org is an amazing uh, website that gives you an opportunity to support our work. And I would hope you'd go ahead at some point during this Hanukkah slash end of 2018 season and give as generously as possible to keep us going. Go to fjbunity.org. Those of you who have given already this year, if you could toss in an additional donation, that would be amazing. Go to fjbunity.org. Again, that's fjbunity.org and be as generous as possible. FJB stands for the Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting, and that is the uh, the source that uh, gives us the opportunity to do all these uh, special programs, especially those who are uh, that are designated as Jewish Unity Initiative programs, going to different cities and broadcasting and being part of uh, the international fabric of the Jewish world. So all of that is we are able to do because of you. So as generous as you could be, we greatly appreciate it. FJBUnity.org, FJBUnity.org, and I thank you. Yesterday in Studio 613, representatives um, were here. We had two amazing uh, members of the 613 group, and they discussed the um, <laughs> the international sensation that is the brand-new Bohemian Hanukkah selection 
from 613. And um, if you missed it, there's a Facebook Live video, which is pretty entertaining, I think. We have a lot of interesting information in it. Go to Facebook.com slash Nahum Siegel Network again. Facebook.com slash Nahum Siegel Network. And you'll be able to uh, to hear what happened yesterday when we were um, when we were discussing Bohemian Hanukkah and its millions of hits and its incredible reaction from around the world. So check it out and enjoy. Are we having trouble with it? It sounds like that's not our regular it's not our regular uh, news feed from Israel. Let me see here if we can get it going. And uh, there we go. Now I think we're okay. Galay Tzal in the background. We'll do our news from Israel coming up. Danny Danone, Ambassador of Israel to the United Nations, is going to join us in the 7 o'clock hour. Malcolm Holmline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, will join us in the 7 o'clock hour. Rabbi Yudin, of course, in the 8 o'clock hour, and plenty more all through the day here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Happy Hanukkah, everybody. Get ready for Erev Shabbos Hanukkah Rosh Chodesh. Pretty amazing, huh? It is amazing. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday is next. Boker Tov from Jamie. Galitzal, Shashtain, Hanukkah Sameach, Kan, Ofek Albert, Im Mashikor Shav, Pigay Mezegavir, Kishmonim Ben Adam, Hulzum Batihem, Bamushava Hiezer, Vishel Hatsafot, Vishash Me Aliat Miflasamain, Lohameha Esh, Simu Pilutsrika, Bishloshim Batim, Loduvach Al Nifgaim. נתיבי איילון עדיין חסומים לתנועה בין מחלף גלילות ומחלף גנות לשני הכיוונים בשל החשש כי הכביש יוצף מנחל איילון. זאת לאחר שבאגן איילון ירדו ביממה האחרונה 200 מילימטרים של גשם. בשל החסימה לתנועת כלי רכב הוחלט ברכבת ישראל לתגבר את מערך הרכבות. רכבת תגבור ראשונה תצא מתחנת תל אביב האוניברסיטה לכיוון רחובות בעוד כשעה ומסלולי הרכבות לכיוון צפון יאורחו עד לתחנת חיפה מרכז השמונה ולתחנת נהריה בהתאמה. בצומת הסירה ובצומת כפר שמריהו קיימים עומסי תנועה עקב תקלת רמזורים. כביש 40 נחסם בשל הצפה מצומת עקרון ועד לצומת קדרון. כביש 4311 ממחלף פלמחים לפלמחים נחסם גם הוא בשני הכיוונים. במשטרה קוראים לנהגים להישמע להוראות ולנהוג בזהירות. ברשות המים אומרים כי מדובר במערכת חורפית חריגה המתרחשת אחת לעשור. מפלס הכנרת עלה עד כה בסנטימטר אחד, ידיעה שריכזו כתבינו גל חן והדס שטייף. נמשכת חקירת ראיית ראש הממשלה שרה נתניהו בחשד כי הציג קבלות מזויפות בפני מבקר המדינה. הגברת נתניהו נחקרת במשרדי להב 433 בחשד שהעסיקה את יועץ התקשורת ניר חפץ מבלי לשלם לו למרות הוראתו של מבקר המדינה. על פי החשד, נתניהו הציגה קבלות מזויפות על תרומה לעמותה כתחליף לתשלום שכרו של חפץ, שהיה בעבר מקורב לבני הזוג נתניהו. כתבתנו מוריה אסרף מוסרת, שמה חשדות בענייני התכבשו לכתב אישום, הוא יצורף לפרשת המעונות. גבר כבן 50 נעצר בתל אביב בחשד שהצייר צלבי קרס ברחוב נחלת בנימין. כתבתנו ליה ספילקין מוסרת שחשוד יובא מחר עם מצאת השבת לדיון בהערכת מעצרו בבית משפט השלום בעיר. התחזית גשום בצפון הארץ ובמרכזה ותיתכן הסופות רעמים. הטמפרטורות תהיינה נמוכות מהרגיל העונה. שימו לב, קיים חשש משיטפונות בבקעת הירדן, במדבר יהודה ובאזור ים המלח. ברשות הטבע והגנים סגרו מסלולי טיול רבים. ועכשיו לשבת אשר בפתח, הדלקת הנר השישי של חנוכה קודמת להדלקת נרות השבת. 
ואלה זמני כניסת השבת, פרשת מקץ, א' ראש חודש טבת. בירושלים בארבע בדיוק, בחיפה בארבע ושלוש דקות, בתל אביב בארבע וארבע עשרה, ובבאר שבע בארבע ושמונה עשרה דקות. ואלה זמני צאת השבת מחר בערב, בירושלים חמש ורבע, בתל אביב חמש ושש עשרה, בחיפה חמש וארבע עשרה, ובבאר שבע תצא השבת מחר בערב בחמש ושמונה עשרה דקות. הדלקת הנר השביעי של חנוכה לאחר צאת השבת. שבת שלום, אלה החדשות שעורכת לי עמרם אילת.
crushed like an olive Let your royal flow When there's nothing left Your true colors show So reach deep down and grab that spark Ain't you tired of living in the dark? Show me, can I show you the light? Show me, can I show you that and light? And we'll smoke in the face of darkness Set fires to burn up the night Tell every, tell all your stories Be a miracle of light Blow smoke in the face of darkness Set fires to burn up the night Tell every, tell all your stories Be a miracle of light Canto es dinom No canto nix mo som Ki boi riviat haloshin Rabi viat viat I'll be a nest nest I'll be a bright light I'll be a miracle I'll be a miracle of light I'll be a nest nest I'll be a bright light Miracle of Light, eighth day here at JM in the AM. Friday morning on this Erev Shabbat Hanukkah and Rosh Chodesh Tevet here at JM in the AM. The great um, ambassador from Israel to the United Nations is, of course, the Honorable Danny Danone on this Erev Shabbat Hanukkah. He joins us live via telephone here at JM in the AM. Mr. Ambassador, Shalom and Hanukkah Sameach. Shalom, Hanukkah Sameach Nahum. Uh, is it really a Hanukkah Sameach when the United Nations cannot recognize that Hamas is really not only an enemy of Israel, but an enemy of the free world? Indeed it is. When you look at the results of, of last night, when we received the support of 87 member states and uh, only 57 opposed, it was a victory. But you know, when it comes to Israel, in the UN, they always have some uh, procedural issues and excuses, and they demand that a special majority. But the plurality of the member states of the UN supported the US and Israel condemning Hamas. So for us, the success. It was a clear message to Hamas and the Palestinians that uh, we will not sit idly by. We will condemn Hamas. We will fight Hamas until they will stop with their terrorism and until they will bring our boys back home. So it was over 50%, what everyone in the world calls a majority, but what was, what, what was the number they were looking for? They were looking for a two-third majority uh-huh. for that condemnation. Right. And, you know, when you look at the, the U.N. with 56 Muslim countries, it's really hard to get two-third majority for such a resolution. But for us, and last night I spoke with Ambassador Nikki Haley, I told her it, it is a victory, and especially now in Hanukkah, when we got uh, such a, a clear condemnation for Hamas, we are very pleased with the result. We wish we could get a two-third majority, but we know it was impossible. Speaking with Israeli ambassador to the United Nations, Danny Danone, speaking of Nikki Haley, um, th- there are rumors about her replacement. Is it official yet that uh, that, that position has been filled? Uh, it's not official yet. Uh, it's uh, in the media from last night. Uh, we have heard about uh, Heather North being the replacement uh, of Ambassador Haley. But we are, we are waiting for the president to announce it, and we are looking forward to work with the new ambassador. I am sure we will continue to get the support of the U.S. in the Security Council, in the General Assembly, and we'll continue to work together. Well, for some of us, it's hard to believe that anybody could be as great an advocate as Nikki Haley. It sounds like you're confident that the new ambassador, if in fact she's named 
as ambassador could fill that role effectively? Well, we will miss uh, Ambassador Haley, that's for sure. Uh, she was very eloquent and uh, she loved Israel and the way she represented the, the values of the U.S. and Israel, it was amazing. But in terms of support, we are confident that we will continue to get the support of the U.S. Uh, in the halls of the U.N. And uh, we are looking forward to continue uh, to support uh, the causes that we share with the U.S. You know, Ambassador, let's go back for a moment to what happened yesterday with this whole Hamas vote, because I think it's an important point to make. You, you talk about the victory, and obviously you're 100% right, procedural matters aside. Um, years ago, it, it never would have gotten to these types of numbers. Do you? I should ask if you agree that years ago, any number of years ago, it would never have gotten to these types of numbers of support for an anti-Hamas resolution in the United Nations. First of all, do you agree with that? And can you describe why things are a little bit different these days in 2018 when looking for support of a resolution like that compared to the old days? I completely agree with you, Nahum. I believe that we should not play only defense. And that's what we did in the UN, me and Ambassador Haley. We attacked together. And when you saw that Hamas and the Palestinians had to be on the defense, so when Ismail Aniyah, the leader of Hamas, is sending a letter to the President of the General Assembly asking her not to bring the resolution to a vote, and when you see the Iranians panicking about this resolution, uh, it shows that it was the right thing to do. I think this approach is the right approach. We should continue with that. And the result, you know, when you look at the, the countries that supported us yesterday, countries like uh, Mexico, Argentina, Brazil, even Chile, so it shows that uh, we should continue with this approach and not only uh, wait attacks coming from the other side because we got used to the fact that in the UN it's always against Israel. So no, now we are taking the lead, we are setting the agenda, and we control the narrative. And I know that it sounds dramatic, but when you mention those South American countries, it really is a nace. It really is a miracle that they are now voting on the side of Israel on issues like this. It was not, it was not always like this, of course, at the United Nations. And every one of these little steps, even though it's frustrating, frankly, as an observer, it's frustrating when you know when you know that Hamas deserves to be condemned by all and not everybody's ready to participate. So it's somewhat frustrating. But on the other side, we have to remember, it really is miraculous that we've gotten to this point. It is. And yesterday, when I spoke after the vote, I told those countries that they should be ashamed because when terrorism will attack their own countries, they will come to the U.N. They will seek support. But once you support terrorism, it will affect uh, the, their countries, and they will pay that price. Uh, we are dealing with that. We have the capabilities. But some of those countries that supported uh, Hamas yesterday, they will pay the price for it. In addition to the new ambassador coming in for 2019, do you view the next few months and next year, 2019, as a very challenging one at the United Nations? Nahum, we live day by day. So we just finished uh, Hamas, and now... We are dealing with Hezbollah. We are getting ready for oh, yeah. a Security Council right. uh, debate about the tunnels penetrating uh, Israel. It will take place uh, next week. I will expose material and I will prove uh, to the Security Council uh, what's happening in the north. And we blame not only Hezbollah, we blame also the Lebanese army. We blame Unifu, who support to prevent Hezbollah from digging those tunnels. So it will be very interesting. It certainly will be, and uh, the Hezbollah activity up north and the discoveries by Israel and what Israel is doing now in reaction to that is so vital and important that I'm very curious, you're right, I'm very curious to see how the U.N. 
is going to respond. Ambassador Danone, let me conclude with this because I don't know how nostalgic you get, especially around Hanukkah time. But we played the news from Israel, which is probably we're probably the only American outlet that does play the Hebrew news from Israel every day. And we played Galitzal just a few minutes ago at the top of the hour, and they included in their Friday broadcast a reminder that one should light their Hanukkah candles before Shabbat candles, and one should light their Hanukkah candles on Saturday night after Shabbat is over. Do you sometimes stop like I do and think what kind of miracle this is, that we have a state of Israel with reminders to the public, in this case globally because of the way the world is now, reminders to the public about our traditions and rituals? Sometimes you have to just stop and realize what kind of miracle that is. I do that a lot. It gives me a lot of inspiration. And we are, uh, we are the light for the nations, and we, we prove it. So when we light the Hanukkah, it's not only about us uh, being proud Jews. It's also about what we give to the world, about Tikkun Olam, about standing for, for the moral values, exactly as we did yesterday. We told the world you have to condemn terrorism. And I think this is a story of Hanukkah, that we stick to our values, to our tradition, and at the end we prevail. Will you be spending Shabbat Hanukkah in New York? So I'm here, and maybe I will have to fly Motzei Shabbat to Israel. It all depends on what's happening up in the north. I wish everybody a beautiful Hanukkah and a quiet Hanukkah for our boys and girls on the northern border who are protecting our beautiful country. Amen. Ambassador Danone, you're such an amazing representative, not only of Israel, but of the Jewish people. Todaraba and Shabbat Shalom to you. Shabbat Shalom. Ambassador Danny Danone is amazing. He is amazing. Uh, we say Shabbat Shalom and Chanukah Sameach to him and his entire family. Friday morning broadcast. Plenty more coming up here on a JM in the AM Friday. It is Erev Shabbos Parshas Miketz. It's Erev Shabbos Hanukkah. It's Erev Shabbos Rosh Chodesh Teves. All these three calendaric, wonderful days converging together to make what I hope will be for everybody an amazing and incredible Shabbos Chanukah Rosh Chodesh for fa- with family and friends. We should all have the privilege of really having a peaceful and wonderful Shabbat together and um, and realize what kind of miraculous times we are living in. Simple as that. Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He will join us coming up 7.40 Eastern Time. We call it the weekly update coming up at JM in the AM.
הפורקן ועל הגבורות ועל התשואות והמלחמות שעשית לאבותינו בימים ההם בזמן הזה. על הניסים ועל הפורקן ועל הגבורות ועל התשואות ועל המלחמות שעשית לאבותינו בימים ההם בזמן הזה.
Pretty amazing as we sit here on an Erev Shabbos that's not only an Erev Shabbos, but Erev Shabbos Chanukah and Erev Shabbos Rosh Chodesh Teves. All three of these great calendaric days converge together, and I wish everybody has a happy, peaceful, and wonderful Shabbos Chanukah Rosh Chodesh with family and friends. Candle lighting in New York at 408. Don't forget you light Chanukah candles first. Oh, I'm actually going to mention that to uh, Malcolm. When we start our conversation, I know I, I know I, I know I keep harping on this, but I don't know if there's such a thing as harping on it too much. Frankly, Israeli news this morning—they didn't just do the whole candle lighting time; they reminded everybody that you have to light Hanukkah candles before Shabbos candles. I mean, could you imagine if our ancestors and predecessors ever would have dreamt that there would be? That there would be a public, in this case, global declaration from a state of Israel's radio authority to make sure to light Hanukkah candles before Shabbat candles. Anyway, you get the point. I want to thank our friends at JewishWorldReview.com. You can go print out thousands of articles before Shabbos to read about Israel and the Jewish world. Check them out, JewishWorldReview.com. Also, our friends at OnlySimplest.com whose news feed continues to feature great news from around the Jewish world, including a whole bunch of stuff that we cover, and we thank them for that. Go to OnlySimchas.com and check out their content every single day. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations and joins us for the weekly update on this Friday morning. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's always great to be with you. I appreciate that, and I know I harp on this a lot, but I just have to mention it to you, and I need your reaction. It, it is, it's not just that we have a state of Israel that's declaring candlelighting times, which is miraculous for anybody from previous generations, but today they remind everybody the, the halacha, the ritual procedure of lighting Hanukkah candles before Shabbat candles. You just got to stop for a minute and, and, and realize how miraculous that whole thing is. It is just as every morning when they say it's filot in the morning when they start. And it's things that people take for granted, uh, you know, the nature of a Jewish state. And while, you know, for those who are not observant enough and all of the other considerations, this is a reminder that Israel is, it, it conducts itself, it lives by a Jewish calendar, you know, that uh, 
uh, everybody from America who goes there knows that all of a sudden you live Jewishly, whether you're observant or not. Right. So incredible. Really remarkable. And this is a great holiday to remind everybody about that. All right, let's go on to the uh, news of the day and of the week. Uh, Many people are curious about your reaction to the life and legacy, especially vis-a-vis Israel and the Jewish people of President George Herbert Walker Bush. What could you tell us? Well, I did work very closely with uh, President Bush uh, because I had already been in the President's Conference then. And look, I'm not going to say it was always an easy relationship. We had very tense moments. But I also saw the other side, and both as a person and and uh, in some of the policies that he issued. You know, the most contentious moment, public moment, probably came during the loan guarantee fight when we were trying to get the loan guarantees for Israel to absorb the uh, Jews who were coming out of the Soviet Union in very large numbers. Right. And Prime Minister Shamir and President Bush, you know, could hardly see eye to eye. He was probably five three, and he was six one or something. So even on a physical level, they couldn't, but on a political level as well. And um, I was the one who organized the day in Washington, where uh, when the president got up in at a press conference or if following a meeting and said that uh, you know I'm the one lonely man against a thousand lobbyists, right? Uh, which was uh, certainly the lowest point, I think. Publicly in in, in in his presidency, although we had other contentious moments, and um, we met with him about a, a several weeks, maybe a month later, and bef- uh, the president's conference had a meeting with him, and before that, Shoshana Cardin and I were invited to meet with him and some of his key people, and she went and she said, "Mr. President, you're a fisherman, and you know that when you draw blood, the sharks come out." You drew blood, and the anti-Semites came out. And he looked at him, bewildered. And he said, I, I never realized this. I didn't know this. Nobody told me. I, and he started crying. I saw tears in his eyes, literally. And he said, I've lived my whole life differently. I never would have done a thing like that. And he could not stop. And we went out to the meeting with the full conference for 20 minutes. He just couldn't get off the topic and just kept you know, repeating how, how that he was shot that he didn't know that the impact and he and he went on to publicly try to at least moderate it and mollify uh, some of the uh, impact. You know, it's a- uh, but I will tell you that on on other occasions as well. One time we left the meeting uh, at the in the Oval Office just of a few people, a few key leaders, and I was invited. And on the way out, he he pulled me back in. And he said to me, you know, during this meeting, you you raised this issue of Jerusalem. He said, it's your issue. It's not your community's issue. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, Mr. President, how can you say that? It's the one issue that unites, every, unites everybody. We're all committed. He said, no, because if it was, I would hear from them. And I don't. I hear it from you, but not from them. And I realized then when the President of the United States doesn't know our positions, it's our fault, not his. Right. And I can tell you other stories about you know, intimate moments and and times when he took us up to his den, kicked off his shoes and started going through the pictures of his grandchildren. And he said the thing that he was most proud of in his life was that his children want to come home. And the, the, the you know, he, he wasn't warm and effusive as some other presidents in times, but uh, when my 
father died, he wrote me an amazing letter. And then when we met at the White House, he took me off to the side and put his arm around me and started talking to me about what it means to lose a parent at any age, at any circumstance. Hmm. So he wasn't as portrayed. He was certainly not any semite as some said. He had around him guys, you know, really tough guys like Jim Baker and others with whom we had, you know, often uh, difficult uh, moments and difficult relationships. But the fact is that when it came to the rescue of Syrian Jews, which we negotiated, and when I wanted and with Ethiopian Jews, which we also uh, negotiated with them, and I went in to meet General Scowcroft, who was his chief of staff, uh, and I asked him to send to, to allow the Bashawitz mission, Senator Rudy Bashawitz, who was then in the Senate, to go to Ethiopia because we had this 48-hour window of opportunity, if you remember, to get the Ethiopian Jews out. Mm-hmm. And Skokov turned me down. And he got, at that moment, as he said no to me, the president called him. And he got up and he said the president was there, and I told my people, sit, don't get up. And we sat on his sofa as he left his own office. And I don't know why. And I just said to Mr. can you ask the president one thing? Can he afford to have pictures of Ethiopian Jews who were killed in the way that the pictures of the Kurds that was on the front page of the New York Times that day, because you said no. And he looked at me in shock, maybe a little horror. And the people, and he walked out, and we stayed in his office. And the others with me said to me, what made you say that? And I said, honestly, I heard it when you heard it. I have no idea. (laughs) I'm I'm laughing only because I've heard you tell this story. And Skokov came back. Bush overruled him. <laughs> Unbelievable. That Shabbos, that, that weekend, Bashwitz was in Ethiopia, and that's how the deal was done. I'm laughing because I remember you telling this story as if God put the words in your mouth, and and you had never. I, I can't tell, tell credit that God is using me, but I'm telling honestly, there were several occasions and critical moments when people, you know, said, "Wow, how did you say?" It? I'm telling you honestly, I have no clue. Yeah, and that was a very special moment. And, um, you know, it's funny, on, the, on the, the one lonely guy in Washington thing, I was discussing this with Mayor Weingarten, and ironically, you, you just said that you know, he tried to walk it back. And it's funny because we, we were talking about how, in retrospect, it, it's not as outrageous a line as, as, as we thought back then. And it, and it may not have had the, the biting intent that we think it, it, it had back then. And based on what you're saying, in terms of his regret, that that's all true. He... Uh, he, well, he, it did have a biting effect. I mean, it did. No, meaning intent. It was a rallying call. Right, but he didn't intend to. Meaning, meaning the what the, you know the the motive behind it. I'm saying it was an it was an emotional response. Right. Of I mean, he had a contentious relationship with Prime Minister Shamir. You know, who was very dogged and very uh, committed to his positions. Although he gave in to the Madrid uh, conference. Right. Uh, and also, I mean, Bush was very helpful in in, in the. The Bush administration and the rescue of of, uh, of Jews from Russia. And I remember, you know, some critical moments where um, you saw the other side. And, and I told Walkdown, and I said to people, clearly, you could see this is no anti-Semite. We had we had difficulties. I'm not denying it. And mm-hmm. there were times when some of his people were very difficult to deal with. But the fact is, if you look at the totality of the record, it betrays that. That accusation. And how do you deal with, with those who are around him or other leaders? In other words, at times, and especially with Baker, frankly, 
uh, you knowing his attitude and the way he, um, how tough he was on Israel. At times, you probably wanted to take the president to a private room and say, you know, you're surrounding yourself with somebody who does not, who doesn't act the way you do, and is not as diplomatic as as you are, and and likely may not feel exactly the way you feel, you know, about certain foreign policy situations. That must be frustrating when you have to, when 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 that you know figure is standing between you and ultimately the president of the United States. Well, I can tell you there were many times when. We did talk to the presidents about people around them, and and many times they were taken aback by things that they did not know. Um, it was not so much with Baker. We had a, a working relationship with Baker that was often very intense, but very direct, and he didn't mind the challenges that we made to him because we did not as a personal accusation, but on a factual basis. And, you know, Dennis Ross used to describe the meetings between us as a ping-pong match, you know, back and forth, back and forth. He said, you could get dizzy. Going. And, uh, but I think he respected the fact that we, we could make a case based on America's interests, Israel's interests, the, the issues, and not on the personalities. He, right. you know, made some comments that were uh, very difficult to accept. Um, and, and, and this is not really his eulogy. It's, this is my fault. <laughs> my fault. This is more about President Bush. But now I'm so curious. Uh, so would you would you then classify Baker as a respectful sparring partner, or that's giving him a little too much credit? Oh, he was certainly a respectful sparring partner, but um, you know he was very blunt, and I think that some of his views were uh, were uh, troublesome. All right. And lastly, in terms of President Bush, based on what you're saying and the and how emotional he can get and how nostalgic he can get, the portrayal of him at the funeral being the family man that he was and the caring person that he was, frankly, when it came to uh, you know to to the downtrodden and underprivileged, uh, those are pretty accurate, it seems. Yeah, well, they were definitely accurate. Uh, you know, I saw. I mean, I didn't see him every day. We saw him several times a year. Right. But it was. Um, you know, it was a different. You see presidents differently when when they have moments when, you know, they put the guard down, and once they learn to trust you and know that it's not going to be in the press the next day, and that they can that your your goal is not for any grandstanding, but to get an issue something accomplished. You know, with Syrian Jews, they told us, you know, wait wait till uh, December, and December we'll be able to do it, et cetera. And during the Hanukkah party, what you know, the Bush one was the one who started the Hanukkah party. Mm. And I was at the first one. In fact, I think I'm the only one who's been at every Hanukkah party since they started in, uh, with Bush one. That the uh, I went up to, pres- to Vice President Quayle and I said, "You promised us that you would start moving, that you would do this." And they said, "Yes, December 6th. And I said, "Well, it's December eighth or whatever." And they looked at me and they followed up right away and they, you know, played a critical role in that. Interesting. So Reagan never had a Hanukkah party, huh? Reagan was the one who launched Jewish Heritage Week at our request, and it was at that when you know it, it the first one where he made a formal announcement. It was a big press conference, a big ceremony in the White House that uh, Bitburg happened at the same time. Right. So the meeting got overshadowed because of the Bitburg issue, and most of the time we spent with him was on that issue. Right. Ah, I feel like I'm back in the 1980s. All right, let's get back to 2018. <laughs> the United Nations has uh, 
uh, rejected the measure condemning Hamas. Now, Danny Danone, the ambassador from Israel to the U.N., was on just about a half hour ago and explained this to us. Uh, so there was a vote that it's got to be a supermajority of two-thirds, which barely, barely passed. And then the actual vote was 87 to 57 with 33 abstentions. So officially, the measure to condemn Hamas did not go through. But he, I think, accurately has portrayed this as a victory. Would you agree? Well, it's good to put a positive spin. And, and uh, you have to know that it went through two stages. The first stage was to... Um, a, a procedural stage that was introduced by Bolivia with some of the Arab countries that required a two-thirds vote. Right. Had it been just the normal majority, they, it would have passed. Right. Because more votes for it than against it. Uh, and remember, there were 23 who who were absent, I think, and 33 who abstained. Right. So I think it was that's about 57 in, in itself. Yeah. And uh, and then that vote passed 75 to 72 pretty close. Mm-hmm. And then they went to the to the full vote. And and you know the the resolution itself was simply a description of Hamas as a terror organization, something most countries recognize. All the European Union uh, went for it. I think it was a disappointment for Nikki Haley because it's probably the last vote or maybe the one of the last votes that she will cast. Uh, as you know they named uh, Heather Nauert as her successor, who was a spokesperson at the UN. The resolution itself, the fact that the uh, U.N. can't bring itself to pass this resolution, it passed more than 700 against Israel, and Nikki pointed out, and not one against Hamas. So when they talk about their commitment to fight terrorism and how you get still these um, automatic votes in, in the United Nations, it's, um, it tells you that, the, that there is change, but it's very slow. And at least on a, as a partial moral victory, the fact that, that they had a plurality of the votes shows some progress. Do you agree, as uh, Danny Danone told us, that years ago, or he affirmed after I asked him, that years ago a lot of these countries in a, in a similar resolution likely would not have voted for it, and this time around we saw South American countries and others uh, who are normally not on that side uh, come out and uh, vote against Hamas? remember that many of these countries are also facing the terrorism threat. <laughs> That's and, true. And, and you know, that, that this is a, a self-interest, or should have been a self-interest right. vote uh, for all of them, that, um, uh, you know, that if you're, you really want to fight terrorism, don't encourage them, don't show that you can't condemn them. I, mean, I don't think that it would have had much of a, of a practical impact as much as it would have been a moral declaration for the United Nations, and it tells us that you know, that body still is riddled by the uh, problems uh, that we have so often discussed uh, on the air, yeah. but that we have to redouble our efforts to, to line up as many countries and, and to switch them as we can. And part of it is to expose them to Israel, to bring them to Israel. Donnie has done it. We've done it to, to, to um, at least show them the truth on the ground. The same body that uh, was the messenger to give us a state of Israel. Sometimes it's hard to believe. Uh, Heather Noward, what do you know about her, and uh, what do you think in terms of the position of uh, about her filling the position as U.S. ambassador to the United Nations? Well, we, we don't know much about her personal positions and uh, how strong an advocate she will be, but all the general um, uh, assessment is very positive and that she's been working, you know, for Pompeo at the, and for the State Department, a spokesperson, uh, very capable. And uh, overall, those who, who know her say very nice things, very positive. You know, on paper, 
historically, if someone said we're sending someone from the State Department to the U.N., we would not be happy about that. That is true, but you have some really good people. There's a new appointment coming up that is a very positive one, dealing with Middle East affairs at the State Department. Um, and I think, you know, you have a, quite a number of people there who are good, and you also still have people, carryovers, so many carryovers from previous administrations. But the policy is set by the secretary, the tone. And in this case, you know, the secretary, as has been true of, of recent secretaries, they operate rather independently of the State Department body. Right. And the, you know, I think uh, Clinton did it, certainly Kerry did it. Um, I, I think that many of them, you know, operate with their small cadre of people uh, and that the State Department, it doesn't help morale there, it doesn't help, uh, and, and that's why so many positions were left open because, and you see this, the Secretary Pompeo traveling all over the world um, with his, his small crew, and he's obviously somebody with a lot of experience, has taken great positions, and uh, we're very happy with it, but it's, it's, a different, um, it's different than it was in the past where the professional body, and there you used to have so many Arabists and people who served in Arab countries who were trained, they all seem to come out of one cookie cutter, uh, that is not true today. Mm, interesting. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio, around the world on the web at NahumSiegel.com, on the NahumSiegel Network, and, of course, in the beloved NSN app. I remind everybody, give your year-end donations and your Hanukkah donations to us at the Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting to keep JMAM going. Go to fjbunity.org, and we wish everybody well on this Erev Shabbos Hanukkah, which is also uh, Rosh Chodesh, a very, very big Shabbos coming up. It should be a peaceful one for everybody. All right, so we have uh, other... I, I, I want it Before we get to the north, tunnel operation, etc., let me just ask you this procedural thing, which I, I honestly don't remember if we've discussed this or not. The, and I, I just want to understand it in the context of the elections. The president of Israel, we know, has the right, once an election has ended, to decide which party should then try to form a government, correct? In other words, right. there have been times when a party did not, and I think Netanyahu was the beneficiary of this, where the party did not win the most votes, but yet was chosen by the president to try to form a government, correct? Right, because he, he consults with all the parties and sees who's the most likely to be able to form uh, a broad coalition. So it's not necessarily the one that gets the most votes. Right. Now, once, the one has the likelihood. now once that happens, it, true or false today, that the president of Israel can choose who leads that party in the attempt to form that government. The reason I ask, of course, is because there's this, I don't know, this this rumor going around that one of the reasons that the prime minister is trying to delay this election is that right now he might suspect that because of everything going on behind the scenes, the uh, the uh, convictions, etc., that it's possible that Gidon Saar and the president of Israel will have some type of plan where instead of the president, uh, if he could, would win the election, instead of the president... Uh, giving Netanyahu the task of forming a government, he would actually go to his number two on Likud, in this case, Gidon Saar, and offer it to him to go and lead a government. Is that is, is that accurate, what I'm saying? Uh, well, first of all, you know the relationship between the president and the prime minister has, is very contentious. Right. And uh, it's public, so it's not, not, not revealing much. But um, uh, And then the prime minister sort of indicated that he thought that there was a conspiracy between them. It's been, uh, both of them refuted it. I don't think that, that there's been any substantiation of that. It is unlikely that the president would bypass the leader of the Likud, assuming they would get the most.
polls show now, uh, it might have been a preemptive move on the part of the prime minister, you know, to go public with it and to to, to make a uh, charge, the accusation. Right. Um, but it, it, you know, the president, the president, whatever their personal feelings, uh, has to be guided by the practicality. Nobody likes to see Israel go through these extended periods of negotiation the way they and as you remember in the past where they would go to one party then they went to another party and the third to see who actually could form a government and if they can't to come have to go back to elections so the the president's role really is to be pragmatic and to look at who actually can get a 61 vote majority or more than that to uh, to form a government all right so to think that the prime minister would delay uh, seeking early elections for that reason, the one I described, it would not be, it would not, it would likely be unfounded. I, I think it would have the opposite that the earlier he does it, the less organized any opposition would be. I think he has uh, other considerations. I think, you know, the investigations are probably something that weigh over him, but I don't think are, are going to be determined in and of themselves. Um, I think that he sees himself in a very strong position, and none of the parties really could challenge him at this time. There's nobody else who has emerged. So I think he's likely to go, if there is a war in the North, he will go to elections after that. Right. Or, you know, all of these factors, where you, 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 and all the candidates will position themselves to where they are the strongest. I don't think anybody now, and you saw that um, Bennett, all, despite all the threats, nobody wanted to bring the government down. Right. All right. Now, I suspect that even though we found out about it this week, that people like yourself and others in the know knew about these tunnels up north probably for a while. You don't, you don't have to tell me if that's true or not. I'm just, <laughs> I suspect that it is. Um, but it becomes public this week, uh, coincidentally, that the, you know, the, that the news coverage case you know, gets front page attention. Um, meaning the news coverage, you know, corruption case with the prime minister gets front page attention this week. I don't know. It could be a coincidence. Maybe not. Uh, what can you tell us about what was in fact discovered and disclosed this week about what's happening up north? How extensive is this tunnel operation by Hezbollah? So this is, um, this takes a little bit of explanation because it's, it's, um, a, a very complex and, and, uh, I think with far reaching implications. The fact is that, that this, these tunnels have, may have been worked on for two years. That they were, there are at least three now that have been publicly have been identified. Two, two uh, more assertively than the reports of a third. Uh, the one that uh, was exposed in the pictures that we've seen was between Miskabam and um, uh, it, that what was right by Miskabam and came. Um, and, and was meant to be a vehicle or a surprise attack inside the cities, inside Ma'alot, inside Miskavam, inside other places along the border, as a, so pro quotes, they intended it to be a surprise retaliation, and the, the goal was to kill as many civilians as uh, as possible. And the, the, the nature of these tunnels are... They're very sophisticated. They were 80 feet underground. Wow. You know what it, it takes? And they had a bore-through uh, rock. It's unlike Gaza, which is sand. There's, um, they had a bore-through rock, which means they were bringing in heavy equipment. Israel was monitoring it the whole time. Do we know uh, the length of the tunnels? Some, 400 feet, but, uh, mm. and some extended 30 or 40 feet into Israel. 
and the um, I mean obviously you know this is also Iran and others uh, involvement but this was Hezbollah's operation they brought in heavy equipment so the question is where they got the uh, heavy uh, equipment from and uh, in Rasnia was the second one uh, some of them start in a house you know they dig under a house and they were hoping that they had the element of surprise in another case I think they, they dug under or it started in a cement factory which is why they could bring the heavy equipment because it looked like they were working on um, the uh, cement factory it's interesting that the Russian troops have been helping to stop it UNIFIL has been put on the spot they they did not do them anything this is their job they're supposed to prevent any presence across the border uh, and for them to have the excuse of saying they didn't know is not acceptable. Israel also revealed this week that they that only a few dozen of the 130,000 missiles will have the precision guidance systems so far because of Israel's interventions. And Iran traditionally would fly stuff to Damascus and then drive it across the border. Israel interceded. So now they're doing more direct flights to Beirut of, of equipment um, and uh, uh, using the, uh, because the land route has become uh, more complicated. This changes the whole situation vis-a-vis Lebanon. As you know, in the past, the Israel was very restricted in how much of the infrastructure in Lebanon directly they could hit. Now, that those restrictions are off because Hezbollah is part of the government. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you can actually see videos of, of uh, the operatives caught inside the government and the, the operation... Uh, I think the northern border is, has been going on where they have to cross the border in order to to eradicate the, these uh, um, tunnels, which is a precursor perhaps to actions against the 130,000 missiles that are uh, sitting in, in Lebanon, uh, many of them longer-range missiles, which enables them to target, speci- and with the guidance systems, they can target specific things like Ben-Gurion or Demona or uh, other you know key targets for them. And interesting that Russia and the U.S., of course, but some others have come out and backed Israel's right to go across the border. This is a violation of Israel's sovereignty. There's no doubt they crossed an international border there to, to carry out this attack. It, it is significant in showing the resources that uh, Hezbollah has and their determination. Uh, obviously, for the people in southern Lebanon, Every third house has a, 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 a missile or some sort of the Hezbollah military uh, significance, you know, that they place the missiles and they have the bedroom, a living room, a dining room, and a missile room. Mm. Uh, so the people of, of Southern Lebanon more likely had to know uh, what was going on or, or knew a good deal about what is going on. What's so the status of the question? And my, my point is that it's not a question that these are civilians and uninterested in whatever Israel has to do to retaliate will, you know, will, of course, get condemned right. uh, by part of the world, but understand the circumstances they're operating. The status of the tunnels this moment, they're destroyed, flooded, what are they right now? Well, well the one, uh, and that's what I started in describing how sophisticated they are. You know, you have communication systems, electricity, they're reinforced, they're, they are uh, complicated. So Israel is now working on how to destroy them. They've given warning to everybody to stay away from it, but they're calling on the UNIFIL and, the, and uh, the Lebanese to destroy the other tunnel and say it's their responsibility, which it is, and I think an important uh, statement because you, know, you place, put 
put the onus where it is, so that later on they don't have any excuses and say that they they had nothing to do with it. Right. And um, uh, you know, this is this is only the first chapter, I'm afraid. In in all of this, we saw Iran testing a missile capable of carrying uh, multiple warheads, and when the United Nations Security Council met this week, yesterday, yesterday I believe, they they couldn't pass a resolution. Uh, condemning them, and the, the you know they put it off, and they, they no matter how watered down it becomes, they still can't get it through. So, you know, it, it again portrays the UN for what it really is. Is it Israel who writes the next chapter? Is it the Israel who has to decide if they're going in or not going in at this point? Israel, yes, and I think that that's why I'm giving a lot of this background just to anticipate uh, possible. Outcomes, uh, you know, the army tried to keep this ultra secret on its side, but so did um, uh, even when they initiated the operation, they tried to keep it even from some from men, most of the people in the IDF. Uh, and when they had discovered it, they kept it uh, quiet that only a few uh, people knew, and the, the, they brought in experts and others to uh, to, to uh, uh, follow it. So, you know. They also had to keep the people in Metula and Miskabam and those other areas uh, along the border uh, uh, without panicking them and, you know, creating too much uh, discussion. So it had to be done very discreetly and carefully. Yeah, I guess in the people in the south hear about tunnels, they're used to that already, <laughs> and they've grown to uh, to uh, live with it. Well, so far, Israel destroyed 17 tunnels near Gaza, but again, the technology is different. Right. But the, the message, and you know, we know that I discussed on the show for years about their attempts to penetrate the border and IRGC being up there and setting up the, the Iran Revolutionary Guard and the um, uh, observation posts and donning the uniforms of the Syrian army in order to give them cover as they uh, move into these areas. It's, uh, you know, this is, uh, Israel unfortunately is put in a very difficult position and thought that because the Lebanese border might be uh, more difficult to penetrate and to be able to carry it out they uh, they they still do it and you saw that that uh, I think it was last Friday they issued a, a warning video to Israel Hezbollah and with satellite images with precise maps of strategic sites in Israel and said if you attack you will regret it and the uh, the video was posted after supposedly Israel hit some Iranian Hezbollah targets in Syria the night before uh, you've told us in past weeks about the uh, presence of the IDF up north, uh, really to remind us that uh, you know there's more activity or more potential activity up there than we think, and there's more uh, you know men and women of the IDF up there than we think. We should keep them in mind. Uh, does this week reflect even more of that because of the discovery up north? Uh, does the IDF presence reflect that there's a, a lot more activity up there? There is, and they they know that there were other attempts. We don't know. You know how many tunnels were started in Lebanon and not crossed the border. Israel has new seismic detection equipment and other things to be able to tell. And people say, well, why don't they hear it or don't see it? Because when it's 80 feet underground across a border, it's hard to know it. Yeah. But as I said, they they followed it for a long time. They wanted to know what the you know where the what the intention was, what the and now they have the full plans. They've captured the, the full documents about their tunnel strategy, and I, I think this is not the end of the action uh, along the border. So there's no question that 
There are members of the IDF who thought they'd be spending Hanukkah with family who are now on the northern border. Oh, yes, we've, they've increased the presence along the border, both to give people a sense of comfort about uh, you know, their own security, the people living on the border areas, uh, but also because they have now to, to keep a constant vigil against attempts to cross. And the prime minister and his, I guess, you know, cabinet or security cabinet or inner cabinet, I assume, is going to have to make a decision rather quickly about how to proceed. Well, it, as I said, they've known about it for a long time. So right. this, this discussion has been ongoing. Right, understood. But so now that they're pretty well prepared for, but for now, what decisions they want to take. Right now that it's public, and as you alluded to, the you know the citizens up north are aware of what's going on. There may be a lot more pressure to act. So, oh yes, yeah. of course. You know, when you think of the horror of what what yeah. it means that. This thing they can they can walk into Matula and, and kidnap people and mm. I mean and again it's not a military operation it's meant to attack civilians. Right. Scary to say the least. Um, I, I don't want to I don't want to risk not doing this story. So I, I know there's a lot to discuss, but we we have to mention, especially I, I believe now during this holiday, the UN General Assembly in New York Friday in a 148 to 11 vote with 14 abstentions approved a resolution that disavowed. Israeli sovereignty in Jerusalem. A second resolution passed 156 to 8, spoke of Judaism's most holy site, the Temple Mount, solely by its Muslim name of Al-Haram Al-Sharif. The European Union supported both texts, while the U.S., Canada, and Australia voted no. Now, I know we've seen this before, right, the Jewish ties and Jewish connection, etc. We've seen these types of votes before, but especially because it happened during this holiday, it seemed even more absurd to us. Anything different about this one, or this is just par for the course? Well, as you know, every year they pass 20 automatic anti-Israel resolutions. And the, the, this past week they passed six, one of which was to call on Israel to withdraw from the Golan Heights. Mm. And the ludicrousness of it is apparent to everybody, given the situation there and thinking that, that Israel could withdraw, and that Hamas, Hezbollah, the Iran Revolutionary Guard, the Iranian militias, and everybody, you know, have their way in the Golan, which would um, obviously be an immediate and direct threat to Israel's future. So it, that just highlights how ridiculous these are, and they pass by these overwhelming majorities, although the Europeans announced that next year they will no longer go along with this. They wow. will no longer support it. Progress. So hopefully there's some change, but you know how many times and people and stopped me and said, you know, you put such emphasis about these, these, these um, for years from when it first started, and nobody wanted to pay attention. I uh, kept hammering away about the significance of these U.N. votes, where they changed the names of the of the holy places, first hyphenating them and then removing the, the Jewish names and, and Christian traditional names for the our holiest sites. And you see it now that the UN resolutions do not mention the Kotel. They talk about Al Barak's wall. They talk about Hamas Sharif. They don't talk about the Temple Mount. And and uh, these things have longer term consequences too. And the the very fact that this this could happen and, and and what shocks me is that you don't see any outcry from the Christian world or any and too much of the Jewish world just accepts this when they are cutting us off from our past because they will say, look, they've left overwhelming majority of the U.N. voted for this. You guys have no right here. You have no right to be there. You have no right to build there. You have no right to visit there. And, and you know, Agadish Baruch keeps sending us reminders. He just finds us to back out the weight from the, and, and now more that we'll talk about in the future, some of the new discoveries 
every one of them reaffirming the message. And here the United Nations votes. Uh, they can't pass a vote against Hamas, but they can pass by these overwhelming majorities, these anti-Israel uh, measures. <laughs> I think people are tired of it. I know ambassadors are tired of it. Many of them just vote automatically with non-aligned movements, and the, you know the, the, a lot of them uh, just follow certain other countries, sometimes the EU, sometimes others. And we have to just keep keep pressing um, to, to reduce the majority. But I think it highlights the irrelevance and the the danger of the UN and the, the fact that Israel can't get a, a fair hearing uh, there. And um, when you say keep pressing, that's that's everybody has to keep pressing. And I mentioned that because uh, we know that it's the one year anniversary since the declaration by uh, Prime Minister, by uh, President Trump about the uh, Israeli embassy and recognizing uh, Jerusalem as the eternal capital and and the capital of Israel. And frankly, we know that there's a constituency to whom, aside from the Jewish community, to whom uh, that declaration is, was extremely important. So we should not rest on our laurels and think that the president is reacting to what we are doing, we should remember that no matter what uh, the reason is that he's uh, gone ahead and taken this action, we must keep the pressure on, not just, uh, I mean, obviously not uh, in reference to Washington at this point, uh, because of uh, the, you know, the White House has been very, uh, has been very proactive when it's come to Jerusalem. Uh, but in general, if we don't, uh, if we as a community do not take action and put the pressure on our elected officials, those who represent uh, at the United Nations, etc., then we only have ourselves to blame. And I say this in the context of what you said earlier when President Bush, uh, who's no longer with us, said to you directly that, you know, I don't hear anything about this. So you as a Jewish leader may be important to you, but unless we hear from the constituents, unless we hear from the listeners of these conversations, then to us it's irrelevant. And and the, yeah, it's, a, it's a opening up a, a very important subject that has... Um, much longer-term uh, implications, but you know, people who deal with ambassadors, people who have business abroad, raising these issues um, makes a difference. Keeping the pressure on makes a difference because it, it, we can erode. And many of them just feel uncomfortable. Many ambassadors feel uncomfortable about it. They go, they get an instruction, or because of other things. You see, even in the Arab world, there's a shift on on a lot of these uh, these issues. But the the knee-jerk reaction. Um, dictates what, uh, what what they do, and the U.N. is just a, a form for it. Look, we, we're seeing it in the battle on BDS in our own country, um, the fact that we have that incident in Temple University that we have in Massachusetts and Vermont, uh, police departments under pressure, cutting off, uh, allowing their um, policemen to participate in, in these defense and in, in security sessions that Israel uh, does for police departments all over the world and, and from the United States who travel there and uh, work together and there's a lot of cooperation. But on, on one hand, Chile, the national controller, put out an order this week that uh, that all it's illegal for cities to participate in BDS. And the um, after one city did it, adopt a PDF, uh, a, a BDS um, position and, and the at the same time, France gave a financial reward to a BDS group with uh, ties to the PFLP, the you know Palestinian Front for the Liberation, uh, uh, Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine. That the Irish passed this bill, which is now going to the lower house, but it's the most extreme measure, which prohibits even or, uh, either importing or exporting 
any item from produced in, in, in Judea and Samaria, I think East Jerusalem and the Golan. And who are they publishing? They're punishing for the Palestinians who work in these places. It has been proven over and over again. But the extreme nature of, of this uh, statement and the penalties that are imposed uh, for it and the fact that it passes the, the upper house and, and the language and the accusations that accompanied the, the debate uh, were, frankly, quite disgusting. And, the, you know, there were going to have to be consequences. We have to stand up just as we do with Airbnb and yep. continue to let them know that we'll, no people will not use their services anymore, that they will not participate in com- companies that um, participate in the boycott. It's it's not the financial implication, because it's it's not that great. In, in uh, There are like 100 listings, I think, in Judea and Samaria and the West Bank, it, it, in the Jewish West Bank areas. And uh, but it is the precedent that it sets, and that other companies will follow. And Airbnb is planning a public offering in in the spring. They're going to know that 26 states are not going to be able to participate, and then many others will will companies and others will will have. We, we should press to let them know that they will not do business anymore with Airbnb because there are alternatives that you can use uh, if they participate in the boycott. I do think they want to get out of this. I think that. They, they're finding themselves in a having put themselves uh, out on a, on a very far out on a limb, hmm. and uh, we'll be very happy to give them a chance to find a way to to climb back uh, off of it. We know that Saeed Barak had himself pressured them. We know that right. the, the leftist groups, and they are taking great uh, joy in this. Uh, this, and then when you see some of the groups, including JST and others, coming out and saying. Uh, almost supporting them and their right to do the, these things when it's a purely discriminatory and they don't like the accusation that it's anti-Semitic. I don't know if their intent was to be anti-Semitic. I don't know how much they even understand of the implications of, of their action, but its net impact is that it's a discriminatory measure singling out Jewish communities from all of the disputed territories in the world and all the places which engage in the most horrific practices you see that uh, war, uh, charges about war crimes were, are being brought against um, uh, Iran about what they've done to journalists, or Turkey has done to, to journalists, and I say single them out because of the Kajoji case, but it's true of, of many of their popula- of much of their populations who have been targeted, and yet nobody talks about barring trade with them. Yep. All right, lots of issues to discuss. I take this opportunity to wish you a very happy uh, Shabbat Chanukah Rosh Chodesh, and we'll speak Bezrat Hashem next week. Uh, have a friend Chanukah, a great Chodesh, and a Shabbat Shalom. Certainly, let's have a peaceful and wonderful Shabbat. Everybody enjoy it with family and friends. This incredible and unique Shabbat. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Weekly update Fridays here at JM in the AM. This time each and every Friday, every hour of Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. And wow, this Shabbos, Shabbos Hanukkah, we have a special treat. We take out three Sifrei Torah. The first one we read from Parshas Hashavua, Parshas Miketz. From the second one we read from Rosh Chodesh, tomorrow being 
Rosh Chodesh Teves, and the third one we read Chanukah. Very special, what used to be called a Shabbos Kodak moment, but one that they're taking pictures upstairs in Shamayim, and one that fills us with a great deal of excitement and privilege. First of all, let's understand why. Tonight, Erev Shabbos, Friday afternoon, when we light the Ner Hanukkah, which we do before the Ner Shabbos, we have to use large candles. We cannot use the small colored candles. The reason for this is because the Hanukkah light has to last for minimum one and a half hour. The reason for that is candle lighting in the New York area is 413, and the Bahag, Baal Halochos Gedolos, is the one who said that women accept Shabbos with their lighting of the Shabbos candles. So therefore, for them, we could not light their Shabbos first, even though it is Todir. It means it's constant. 52 weeks a year, we light Ner Shabbos. Eight days a year, we light Ner Hanukkah. Logic should have had it that we do Shabbos first. However, because women accept Shabbos with the lighting of Shabbos candles, we could not light, they certainly could not light Ner Hanukkah after they've lit Ner Shabbos. And it would be wrong for the men in the house to be motzi them at a time when they could not light it. So our practice is we light Ner Hanukkah first. Now, the ideal time to light Ner Hanukkah is at the end of Shkia or at Seis. If Shkia is approximately 4.30, a few moments before, so then 40 minutes after Shkia would be 5.10, which is the ideal time that we have been lighting throughout the week of Hanukkah. Now, we cannot light at 5.10. It's Shabbos. So we light before Shabbos, but we have to have enough fuel, candle oil, that after 5.10, it's still going to burn for another half hour, which is the minimum amount of time that the Ner Hanukkah has to burn. So therefore, one has to use enough oil or use large candles. Now, if your menorah does not hold the large Shabbos candles, then my strong suggestion is that you can take tea lights, these small round um, uh, lights, which last over two hours, line them up on tinfoil or other metal um, foundation that's going to be safe. And the secret is, while it's preferable to use a menorah reflecting the miracle which happened in the Beis Hamikdash, 
you don't need a menorah, so you can line up six tea lights and put a seventh to the side acting as the shamash, and that way you would satisfy your obligation for Ner Hanukkah for this evening. I'd like to share with you an exciting word which is found in the beginning of Parshas Miketz, which I really believe reflects not only the excitement of Yosef, but literally a portent for the future, including shedding light on Hanukkah itself. The Torah tells us at the very beginning of the parsha, it was at the end of two years, and Rashi at the end of Parshas Vayeshev tells us that Yosef, who had been ten years in jail, is now, quote, subject or sentenced to two more years because he put too much trust in the Sarah Mashkim, in the butler of uh, Mitzrayim, with whom he was incarcerated. And now, the time is up. And so what happens? Uparo So most people understand, well, since Paro dreamt, and no one could give him a satisfactory explanation for the dream, so um, this way Yosef gets out of jail. Because at this point here, the butler says, oh yes, Shamitanu, there in jail with us, was this uh, young uh, Hebrew slave, and uh, that's how Yosef gets out. However, the Beis HaLevi says, no, you've got it all wrong. It was after two years, and now Yosef's time is up. Yosef has to get out. How is he going to get out? So there are many different ways. He could have had a uh, great escape and just, no. The idea is now that Yosef has to come out, so HaKadosh Baruch Hu causes that Paro dreams, and there's no one to interpret it, in order for <clears throat> Yosef to now rise from where he was to where he's going to be. So the Torah tells us in Pasuk Yud Dalid that when Paro hears of Yosef's ability, Vayishlach Paro Vayikra Es Yosef. Paro sends and calls for Yosef, Vayiritsu Minabor. And they literally rushed him out of the pit, out of jail. And he shaves. And he changes his clothes. Now we know there's not an extra word in the Torah. What if the Torah didn't say, and they ran him out of jail? They brought him to Paro. Why isn't that sufficient? So there is a very powerful sapurno on this pasuk, on the word Vayiritzuhu. And the sapurno says this was Kederech called Shuo Hashem. This was in keeping with all the salvations of Hashem Shenaseis Kemorega that happened literally in a moment, in a flash. Ka'omro and he quotes several psukim to substantiate this. Kikrovo Yeshua Silavo, Hashem in Yeshaya 56 says, quickly, soon is 
my salvation going to come? And he says, this is the way it was in Mitzrayim. Kigorshum in Mitzrayim. We were in Egypt for 210 years. But when the time came, they literally pushed us out of Mitzrayim. And this is the explanation as to why we matzah. Shlohispik bitzeikam shalavuseinu. There wasn't time for our bread to rise. And so too, he points out that in the future, as we're told in the beginning of the third chapter of the Navi Malachai, when he says, Suddenly, the Odom, the Master, whom you are waiting for, namely the Moshiach, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself are going to come to the Beis HaMikdash, and it's going to happen, Piso. So the idea that I'd like to share with you to begin with is, number one, after our lighting of the menor, menorah, and after we've said, Haneros <clears throat> Halalu, explaining that these are lights to commemorate the nace of Hanukkah, we sing Mo'os Sur Yeshua Si, that we sing literally acknowledging that Hashem is the rock of our salvation. And the next line is Tikom Beis Tefillah Si, literally restore my house of prayer. So as we sing that tonight, Tikom Beis Tefillah Si, understand that you're going to say to yourself, oh my goodness, it's almost 2,000 years, but when it comes, it comes literally, <coughs> it's going to come most, most quickly. Yeshua's Hashem Keheref Ayin. But I believe that there's an, an additional message here. The message of Vayiritsuhu is that this is all Lamala Minateva. This is all supernatural and above the natural. We start with Yosef, that Yosef is in jail and he's going to go literally from rags to riches. He's going to go from one extreme to the next. One minute he's languishing in a jail and the next moment he becomes literally the Mishnah Lamelech, the Viceroy, the second in command. There is no way to explain this other than this is seeing Hashem literally conducting himself in a manner which is, quote-unquote, Teva. And this is a portent, says the Sopurno, for us to recognize and realize throughout Jewish history. And this is exactly what we saw at Hanukkah time, in the middle of the winter, in the darkest of times, at nighttime, the longest nights. What did we see? As we say in the Al-Hanisim, Rabim Biyad Ma'atim. We see literally that the many thousands, tens of thousands, Rashi says at the end of Zos HaBracha, that Moshe <clears throat> is mispalel for Shevet Levi. He looks into the future and he sees how the Chashmonoyim are going to be so significantly outnumbered. <clears throat> so when Moshe says, Mechatz Mosnaim Komov, smash 
the loins of his foes. This is Moshe being mispalel for the Chashmonoyim. And we are to realize that the Rabbim, Biyad Ma'atim, <coughs> the many Greeks who were given over to the few loyal Jewish men who were fighting the family of Kohanim and Chashmonoyim, this is something which is completely and totally the Malam The problem is that people, when they reflect upon a war, so they say to themselves, well, when there's a war, there's always someone that's going to win, that someone's going to lose, and we have the home court advantage, all kinds of reasons. So our rabbis tell us that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us the additional, more popular, understood miracle of the Pach Hashemin, of the oil lasting for eight days, to be Megala, to reveal and to remind us that this was a time of Nisim, and that the military victory was an incredible nace. This is the implementation of Vayiritsuhu, what happened with Yosef. Of course, you could ask yourself, this is our constitution, and the constitution doesn't usually have biographical material. So why does the Torah spend so much time on one person? So just as the Ramban tells us in Parshas Lech Lecha, that Maasei Ovos, Simon Lebonim, what happened to Avraham, to Yitzchak, and Yaakov is a portent of what will happen and has happened throughout Jewish history. So the Svasemis and others point out that Yosef is almost in the status of that fourth Av, and just as Pesach is connected to Avraham Avinu, and Shavuos is connected to Yitzchak, and Sukkos to Yaakov, Hanukkah is, says the Sfas Emes, connected to Yosef Hatzadik. So when we light Ner Hanukkah tonight, stand at the menorah, and just say to yourself one word, Vayuritsuhu, that this is all the Malam pinch yourself, Be careful, not while you're holding the candle, but the idea is that you should realize how proud and privileged you are to be part of a people of Vayuritsuhu, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Megala himself, shows himself to us by these incredible uh, phenomena of Jewish history. And just as we have been privileged to see this in the past, by Emim Haim and Hashem, it's coming very soon. Bazman Hazer, Shabbat Shalom, a good Chodesh, and a Freilich Hanukkah to all.
Avraham or Avram Freed, getting us into the Shabbos Hanukkah spirit. Light those Hanukkah candles before you light your Shabbos candles later on today, everybody. Don't forget the big circus. The circus is coming to town. Big Apple Circus this Monday, the final day of Hanukkah with Simcha Liner, with Uncle Maishi at Lincoln Center in New York City. JewishTickets.com, 12 noon show, 3 p.m. show. Go to JewishTickets.com. JewishTickets.com. Time to say good Shabbos with Journeys at JM and the M. It's shining through the trees. Another week's gone by. Become a memory. So throw away your hammer. There's nothing left to do. Say good job is Cause all your work is done I'm Gonna spend a day together with the Holy One Say a special blessing on a cup That's filled with wine Man and his creator It's a very special sign your candles will be burning They'll fill your home with light Singing songs of Shabbos Well into the night So throw away your hammer There's nothing left to do Go on home and find a gift That's waiting there for you Oh Spend the day together with the Holy One Say a special blessing on a cup that's filled with wine Man and his creator is a very special sign
Brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world on the web at NachumSigl.com, on the NachumSigl Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. Keep in mind, fjbunity.org. If you haven't made a Hanukkah or year-end donation yet to uh, our efforts here at the NachumSigl Network, please do so as soon as you can. Go to fjbunity.org. FJB for Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting fjbunity.org. Be as generous as possible. Keep us going into the year 2019. I thank you all for tuning in. Happy Hanukkah. Have a wonderful Shabbos Hanukkah Rosh Chodesh, everybody. Don't forget, Monday is the circus. Go to jewishtickets.com. The uh, the circus, the Big Apple Circus with uh, Uncle Maishi and Simcha Liner, 12 noon and 3 p.m. at Lincoln Center in Manhattan this coming Monday. Get your tickets at jewishtickets.com, jewishtickets.com for information. Naomi Nachman is next with Table for Two. All day long, amazing music, including the Arab Shabbos show, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Harry Rothenberg in the video blog for Parshas Mikates. Arab Shabbos music mix brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Saturday Night Seagull tomorrow night with Avrami and Rabbi Zwickler. And, of course, Matis with JM Sunday Live on the seventh day of Hanukkah, starting at 7 a.m. Eastern Time. Have a fabulous Shabbos, wonderful weekend, everybody, and happy Hanukkah. Till Monday, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.